So, um, this has been kind of a really difficult uh, prep for me. Uh, it's been kind of, I, I guess the only way I could put it would be opposition from within and without. Um, I've been sick for the last week, and I, I, anytime I've tried or desired to get into studying this passage, there's been an overcoming, uh, not urge, but this, this feeling of, of what's the point, or I don't really want to do that. Um, and the, this, this has been kind of coupled with uh, a lack of desire to even preach this passage. If, like, if there is a passage I could have chose of Hebrews, it would not have been this one. And it would not have been last week's either. So, and not next week's either. So, like, chapter two through three, I really would like to not preach through in the book of Hebrews because um, there's a lot of strong warnings. And it's not really a, a, a passage of scripture that's super encouraging. Instead, there's these kind of strong warnings strewn throughout it. Like, you know, and we are his house. Great, if indeed we hold fast our confidence, not so great, you know, um, which is what I'm actually preaching on today. Today, uh, and personally for me, like I struggle with passages like this where we are, where we do have these kind of conditional statements of salvation, um, where it seems to be that the condition is on us, you know. Uh, I, I really struggle with that because, you know, I'm, I'm introspective to a fault. And so when I look at passages like this and I go, great. Well, what about that one time, like, I didn't hold my confidence? Or about what about my struggle to even talk about my faith at work where there's a lot of opposition to my faith? Or... Um, what, what about, like, resting on, like, I don't have any sort of power in myself to rest in this confidence. Like, I don't, I don't have staying power. So that being said, you know, I, I really struggled to study this passage. But God has been faithful, and, and, and while studying this, even with the little that I got due to you know, sickness and some family issues, uh, here I am, you know. I'm here getting ready to preach this text, and I think it's very important. I think passages like this, where it does shake us, where it does kind of make us question or cause us to stir, I think they're there for a purpose in Scripture. So before we start and before we get into this, I just want to say two things as a reminder about the book of Hebrews. One, Hebrews was written to a people that were tempted to return to Judaism, to a people that were tempted to abandon their faith, to go back to what was comfortable. Two, Hebrews is meant to show the superiority of Christ to the Old Covenant. Again, to these Hebrews, to these people that were thinking about returning to the law, to Judaism, the author is painstakingly trying to show that the new covenant in Christ is this much better than the old covenant. One uh, commentary I, I 
kind of read, well, it was a quote of another commentary in a commentary, so I didn't read this guy specifically, but the quote was from a man named Ben Witherington, and um, he says this, uh, his entire argument, so his being the author of Hebrews, and we can take that as probably Barnabas or Apollos, um, his entire argument, like Paul's, is based on the premise not only that Christ offers something better, but also something that eclipses the old covenant as good as it was in its day. Not only does the new covenant in Christ offer something that is better, but it's so much better it eclipses, it overtakes the old covenant at the height of the goodness of the old covenant. So with that in mind, I'm going to pray. We're going to read this passage. I'm going to kind of describe where I really want us to take from this. So pray, Father, um, please be with my words. And uh, however jumbled or or, uh, the lack of connection I am seeing, there be connection in, in our hearts. And please work through this passage through me and help us to hear your words and to be doers of the word, not hearers only. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, the one thing I want us to go with that, that we leave here, and if you remember one thing from what I'm saying, is this, is to hold fast hope. Uh, hold fast hope. It's what the author is getting at in this section. It's what he kind of gets at through a lot of the book of Hebrews as well. But it really comes to the forefront here. In this section, uh, which we're going to be reading 3, 1 through 6, can be broken into three parts that I can see. First we have a look that says, or first we have the call to look at Jesus, the faithful one. Two, we have Jesus as greater than Moses. And third, we have the theme of the message, Hold Fast Hope. So let me read this, and um, I have to apologize. I keep forgetting to get my Bible with the verse numbers in it. So (laughs) you're just going to have to hear me read, and you're going to kind of have to follow along. But uh, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. So the first point, the first section, the first movement that we're getting in is uh, the call to look at Jesus the faithful. He says this, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, 
who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful. He's calling the Hebrews, the recipients of this letter, he's saying, hey, take a look at Jesus, who was faithful. He says, therefore, and as Blake always says, what's the therefore, therefore, right? In light of everything he's gone through in the book of Hebrews so far as being greater than the angels, as being the final word of God from God, you know, in the last days, God spoke to us through his son, as him being faithful and being perfected through the suffering and making this God's plan perfect. He says, in light of all this, look at Jesus. In light of the knowledge of Christ's completion of his mission, consider him. Why? Why would he say this to them? Why would he say, in light of the complete mission of Christ and his faithfulness in his suffering, Why look at him? Because the author is setting up what his exhortation at the end of this passage is going to be. He's bringing to them the forefront of their mind the faithfulness of Christ so that at the end of this passage he can call them to be faithful in the midst of their suffering. How was he faithful? Most poignant thing in my mind is uh, Father I pray if there be any way let this cup pass for me but not my will but yours right right before right, right before Golgotha in the garden of Gethsemane sitting there praying and then he's faithful to be crucified to not speak a word against his accusers and to make atonement for our sins The author wants us to recall the faithfulness of the suffering servant so that in the midst of our suffering, we can also remain faithful. At the same time, he's calling their attention to Jesus' faithfulness and then using this comparison at the end to Moses to set up the entirety of the next argument, which is the greater, or Jesus being superior to Moses. And why would he use this transitional statement? Like I was saying before, a large number of these Christian Jews were considering returning to Moses, returning to the old law, the Old Testament, the covenants, what was easy, what was comfortable, and what at least, even if they were a downtrodden people, they weren't a crushed people. They weren't being slain by both Jews and Romans, you know? And so he's setting up this comparison so that he can show that Jesus is superior, not only in his honor, but the worth, glory, and by his very nature is superior to Moses. He says next, and we're moving to point two, Jesus greater than Moses. He says, just as Moses was also faithful in all God's house, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. 
but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. He uses a fair chunk of this passage to establish that Jesus is superior to the person they were looking to return to. Uh, in a little mini list, I guess, he uses three examples. First, he uses the example as a builder being greater than the house. The author of Hebrews appeals to a plain truth that the architect is greater than the architecture. Now, for me, this is hard to understand because all I see are great buildings going up, and I think, wow, that's awesome. Like, the Golden Gate Bridge, or the Empire State Building, or the John Hancock Building in um, Chicago. Like, you see these monumental towers, right? These things that have stood the test of time, and you think, that is amazing. And me not being an architecture student, I don't think of the person who designed that and has made it to last and to stand the test of time. How much greater is the mind of the person who designed a building to stay up against earthquakes, wind, and elements than the building itself that is literally just being built. It did nothing, right? His argument that Jesus is the builder of the house. He is greater than the house itself because he's the builder of the house. He makes this kind of side note as well, for every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Kind of see the divinity of Jesus there, right? Right? He says, Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses, as much glory as the builder of a house, than the house itself, and then that every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. He's arguing that the substance of Jesus is greater than that of the building. And he compares Moses to a building. Second, he argues that a son is greater than a servant. He says, Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant, but Jesus is faithful over God's house as a son. <clears throat> Again, this is kind of hard for me because I don't, I'm not rich, I don't have butlers. <laughs> and I'm not in management, so I can't say that there are people under me. But how those two things work, I mean, let's just take the manager for example. Uh, the person that gets in trouble for the business not working from the owner is not the person at the bottom. While the person at the bottom might get fired, the manager is the one that's in, like, accountable for the things not working, right? In the same way he's saying that a son over a father's estate is responsible for that estate not thriving, not the servant. The servant can only do what the son tells it to do, right? The person that's the administrator of the estate. This is the nature of who Jesus is, and this is who Mo, or um, whoever the author of Hebrews is. <laughs> He's trying to point us to an idea that Moses is simply a servant, but that Jesus, his nature is that of the eternal word of God made flesh, right? Moses simply was chosen as a servant, and he was faithful in that. But Jesus is the Son of God, and he is faithful over the entirety household of God. 
You know, it's also peculiar because the author of Hebrews doesn't make a comparison to the quality of the faithfulness. He doesn't say Jesus was more faithful than Moses, even though you can definitely see that through Scripture. Jesus never faltered. He was faithful in his entire life. Moses struck the rock and wasn't allowed to step foot in Canaan. Or Cana, Cana, one of the two. <laughs> so the point that the author's trying to make is that, that the very nature of Jesus demands our attention more than that of Moses. Third, and, and I didn't see that till last night while I was trying to get my outline finished, but he says this, he says, uh, or third, that substance is greater than shadow. And I don't have a really, it's not the best term to put there, but he says this, that Moses was faithful as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. You know, I'm, I'm reminded of, uh, I think it's in John, where Jesus says, you search the scriptures thinking that in them is eternal life, but it is they that testify to me or bear witness to me. Same phrasing, right? Moses was faithful to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. This is also a uh, reference to the beginning of this, right? The beginning of Hebrews where he says, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, Moses, in the writing of the Pentateuch, in the writing of the law, testified to the final word of God to man, the eternal word made flesh. And his argument that those who testify to what is to be evident as truth, the truth is greater than the testimony, right? There's one quick side I want to just meant to write it down here, and I just want to make sure I cover it. The statement of Moses being faithful over or in all of God's house is likely a reference to Numbers 12, 7. Um, I got a bookmark. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it real quick. There's this um, part of the reason I think that the author doesn't address the quality of the faithfulness is because for Jews, Moses was in a different category. He wasn't just a prophet. Uh, I'll start at the beginning of uh, 12, and I'll go just past 12.7. It says, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very weak, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly Moses said, or suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out, and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward, and he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. 
I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all of my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly, not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. The author painstakingly goes to show that the greatness of Jesus is greater than Moses because the Jews have this... I mean, Scripture arguably makes it known that Moses is unlike other prophets. He's not a prophet. He's the servant of the Lord in the Old Testament. God himself goes and he says, I speak in riddles and I speak in uh, dreams and visions to my prophets. Not so with Moses. And this is who the author of Hebrews is saying, he is greater than Moses. He is greater than the one who spoke face to face with God, mouth to mouth, clearly with God. This is the eternal word of God made flesh. This is him who was with him at the beginning. Moses, the greatest prophet or the greatest servant of the Lord in the Old Testament, testified to the greater word to be spoken, Jesus. And that brings us to the end of this. Third point, hold fast hope. He says, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. It's like he's saying, so in case you were thinking of returning, don't. (laughs) It's meant to shake them. It's meant to shake us. You know, I'm not, I'm not Jewish. I was not raised Jewish. I was not ever, uh, I didn't ever really consider Judaism. So in one sense, this has a hard time finding ground in me. You know, I don't think, well, maybe it's Moses in the Old Testament, the sacrificial system that I'm meant to follow. But I have felt temptations towards other worldviews. And I've seen the appeal in some of these other religious systems, you know? I mean, reincarnation sounds a lot better than hell. (laughs) This passage is meant to shake us. It's meant to remind us of this, that there is a truth, that there is a Jesus, there is a God, there is a heaven, there is a hell, there is the new creation and there's the eternal lake of fire. He says that we are the household of God. Conditionally, if we hold fast our confidence and the boasting and our hope. So what does he mean by hold fast our confidence and boasting and hope? I think he's referring to the confession that he talked about in the beginning of this section. And what is our confession? That in the beginning our ancestors sinned and we are born with sin. The wages of sin are death but that the eternal word of God became flesh, dwelt among us, lived a perfect life, died a perfect, sinless, atoning death, was raised again, was ascended, and as Hebrews says, after making propitiation for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Most High. And he will come again, the judge, 
to eternal life and to eternal damnation. This is our confession and that in him, as John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever should believe in him should have eternal life and shall not perish. That was my paraphrase. Um, (laughs) That in these things, that in this, we are the household of God. Now, I do, I do see some, some hope in this. I see a lot of hope, actually, when I look at it. And I didn't see it really till last night. But this statement, Christ is faithful over God's house. What's the very next thing? And we are his house. Christ is the faithful attendant of his father's estate. And we are the estate which he will faithfully watch over. He will make sure that we flourish and we thrive. We hold fast our confidence knowing that Christ is faithful for us. So, so what do we do with this? What do we do with this argument to, to help us Keep our confidence in the faithful servant. We fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. And how do we do this? We do this through prayer. We do this through reading the scripture. We do this through worship. We do this through community. We do this through service and evangelism. And none of these things are meant to be a checklist for us to say we are a Christian. All these things are means of grace that God has given to us to more clearly see the one whom our confidence is in. We pray so that we might more clearly See Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who is faithful to us and will keep us till the end. We read the scriptures so we can clearly see him. We worship him to realign our hearts to him so we can see him clearly. We participate in community to see the love of the Father for us. And these are just, these things, and I've struggled with it do become a checklist more often than not. Like, it's not. These are good gifts from our Father who is good to help us remain steadfast till the end by seeing Jesus. Second, cast out our works. Returning to Moses would have been a returning to works, a returning to a sacrificial system, a returning to keeping the law um, when I say that, I'm not talking about like moral things, but like literally like no more eating shellfish, no more eating pork, no more wearing tri-blend t-shirts. But what does it look like for us? It's a returning, or, or for us it would be a returning to some way clawing our way to God. It would be returning to making prayer, scripture reading, worship, community, service, all these things to be badges of our salvation so that we can go to God and say, no, here's my receipt, right? Lastly, hold fast knowing that he is faithful. 
hold fast the hope that we have knowing that Christ is faithful over God's house and that we are His house so long as we remain steadfast. I know that. But hold fast knowing that Christ is faithful to us and that He will remain faithful to us and that He will keep us to the end. In closing prayer, uh, Blake will come up and we'll do... uh, prayer requests and communion but um yeah father please uh let the jumble of my words mean something and let there be your truth can be sussed out of it and that we can have confidence in you and please help us to hold fast our hope till the end knowing that you are faithful. Help us to use the means of grace that you have given to us to be able to see Jesus more clearly. Please bless the remainder of our time. Please bless our praying together, our taking of the communion and remembering you in our worship. In Jesus' name, amen.